You're listening to The Way It Was, a podcast podcast. And here is a quick word from our new sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Jack's Outdoor Gear, Farm and Ranch. Family owned and operated since 1955, Jack's gets people outdoors having fun. When exploring the history of Northern Colorado, you can't help but think of Jack's and their long presence in the community. From family traditions of picking up fishing licenses to the mysterious disappearance of Jax's G.I. Jane in the 80s, Jax has a rich history. Visit one of their stores along the Front Range and check out the unique shopping experience. On a misty Sunday in early February, I took a drive west of Fort Collins. Continue straight. I drove and I drove until paved road became packed snow. Finally, I barely spotted a wooden cross up a snowy stretch of hill. I got out, started walking, and was relieved to find out that I was in the right place, Manhattan Cemetery. There are just a handful of formal graves there, and most of them date back to the late 1800s, when the land to the west of me was Manhattan, one of northern Colorado's few gold mining towns. At first, it was a boom, and then it was a bust. And now, more than 130 years later, the only sign of old Manhattan is this little cemetery and these old graves. But then, there's one far younger grave. It belongs to Rattlesnake Jack Brinkoff. Rattlesnake Jack was buried here in 1970. His family had to petition the U.S. Forest Service to make it happen. His is the small mining cemetery's latest and seemingly last grave. Oh, there are some stories about Rattlesnake Jack. They've been written about a lot, and you'll hear some in this podcast. But this episode isn't about Jack. It's about the woman that he left behind. Polly Brinkoff, Jack's wife, would go on to live another 30 years in the mountain cabin they scrabbled together back in 1952. For decades, up until 1999, Polly lived off of the Poudre Canyon without electricity or plumbing. She kept her food in an old mine instead of a refrigerator, and she raised four kids like that, as well as a menagerie of animals, which included, for some time, a pet mountain lion. See, there are stories about Jack, but there are just as many about Polly, a tried and true mountain woman, the likes of which we'll probably never see again. Without further ado, here's episode 24 of The Way It Was, the unusual life and trying times of Polly Brinkoff. Hi there, guys. If you didn't see our recent announcement on coloradoin.com or in the paper, I am pleased to tell you that the way it was is back. I'm Erin Udell, and I'm a reporter at the Coloradoin. I love writing about local history, so I started this podcast, if you will, back in 2017 
as a way to showcase Northern Colorado's history. I had so much fun and heard from so many of you who, just like me, love local history. The way it was got to be a lot of work, though, and I'm just one tiny, petite, beautiful, delicate little person. So, since the podcast was mainly a labor of love, my editors and I decided to put it on hiatus in late 2018. Then, at the end of last year, the skies opened, and we heard that Jack's Outdoor Gear Farm and Ranch was interested in bringing back the way it was. It's official. Jack's is the first ever sponsor of the way it was, as well as a history newsletter that I'll be putting together each month and some other great historical content you'll be able to find on coloradoin.com under our new The Way It Was tab. I don't know if you can tell, but I am excited beyond measure to be back in the windowless little room that I edit podcasts in. I'm so excited to dig back into Fort Collins history, northern Colorado history, and see what stories I can unearth for you. I know that you're actually here to listen to a podcast, so I'll try to contain myself and get on with it. I want to just start off this episode with something special, something that isn't available for a lot of historical projects. Let me see if I can describe where we are. Um, we're in Skin Gulch, which is, you got to go up the Pooter to the Stove Prairie Road and turn left there and about, oh, half mile down the road, there's a little, little dirt road on the right that it goes off up Skin Gulch and up the head of that, and that's where, uh, that's where Polly lives. Okay, I got, got, got her going now. But uh, I usually ask people, like, when and where they were born first and how they came here mm -hmm. to this area of the country. Oh, well, I'll tell you that, and now it's on. Yeah. Well, I was born in Kansas City. As you know, this podcast is about Polly Brinkoff. And that voice? Well, that's Polly Brinkoff's. In the 1970s, a local historian started recording oral history interviews with Northern Colorado residents. And on July 23, 1974, an interviewer drove up the Poudre Canyon with a tape recorder and a bunch of questions. We went down there. What was your, what was your maiden name then? Powell. Powell? Mm-hmm. Polly Powell? Yep. <laughs> was Polly your given name or well, was no, it a nickname? No, Len Lenny's my real name. Lenny. Polly's a nickname. Lenny? Uh-huh. How do you spell that? Polly gets into her life as Polly Powell. But before long, Jack Brinkoff makes an appearance. Mm -hmm. And we met at a carnival once. It was in Cassville, Missouri. I was going to see about riding a bucking horse, and he was interested in, in, in wrestling there. But he later, we went there, he didn't wrestle, but he refereed the wrestling. And I didn't ride the horse. I met him instead. <laughs> didn't ride the horse. So that's where we met each other, and then later we got married and lived. Uh, he had a farm on White River. That would have been in the mid-30s. Polly and Jack were 19 years apart, so at the time, Polly would have been in her early 20s and Jack in his early 40s. After getting married, they soon had three children, and that farm in White River, Arkansas, didn't pan out. The family moved around the Midwest, and Jack found various jobs on ranches. Polly had one more baby, bringing the Brinkoff clan to a family of six. They eventually ended up in Wyoming, where Jack was promised a job. But once they arrived, they realized there was no job. 
We went out there where the job was already filled. So. Where, where was this? That's in Wyoming, McFadden, Wyoming. So we started, we had a friend who uh, who moved us out there. And so he moved us. We had another job he was offered in Good, Goodland, Kansas. When that one there, after we got clear out there with all our furniture and the kids all little wise, the woman that owned the ranch, she said, oh, that's my foreman. He didn't have any right to hire you. We already had a man hired. So there we were with all our furniture and the little kids and no money, and we had to borrow money back from the truck driver friend of ours. Mm -hmm. So as we come through Fort Collins, boy, Jack said, let me go in here and check the employment place, see if there's any jobs around here. Jack would find work at a dairy ranch in Owl Canyon, near Livermore. But his health wasn't great. You see, Jack had served in World War I, driving horse-drawn ambulances with a medical unit through France, Belgium, Luxembourg, and Germany. He got injured over there and struggled with his health for the rest of his life. One day, when he was in the VA hospital, Polly said she decided to take the kids, Sally, Mike, Travis, and Dan, up the Poudre Canyon, just past Mishawaka. There was a little cable car that would take you across the river, and the five of them set out to have a picnic. Found an old cabin, and there was an old fellow up there on the mountain cutting posts. So we went up and talked to him, and that turned out to be old Norman Gabriel, or as we just called him Old Gabe, and he's an old-timer. Polly and Gabe got to talking, and she learned about his mining stake. You see, Gabe lived in a cabin near an old gold mine around Manhattan. As long as he did annual assessment work on the mine, the U.S. Forest Service allowed him to live on the land around it for free. Mm -hmm. So he, we got acquainted with him, and he'd found this copper up here. And he said, why don't you folks, you know, do like I do? Yeah. In 1952, the Brinkoffs moved to Skin Gulch, where they scrabbled together a cabin on an old copper mine's mill site. Jack would live there for the next 18 years, before his death in 1970, and Polly would live there for almost 30 years after that. More on that cabin, and life as a brink-off, after a word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Jack's Outdoor Gear, Farm, and Ranch. Family owned and operated since 1955, Jack's gets people outdoors having fun. When exploring the history of Northern Colorado, you can't help but think of Jack's and their long presence in the community. From family traditions of picking up fishing licenses to the mysterious disappearance of Jack's GI Jane in the 80s, Jack's has a rich history. Visit one of their stores along the Front Range and check out the unique shopping experience. Hi, Jack. Come on in. Hello. Charlie and Billy. Big Charlie and Billy. Hi. <laughs> nice, nice to meet, to meet you. you. Hi. How are you? Hi. Good. This how are you? Becky. Hi. Hi, Erin. Hi, Erin. Nice to meet nice you. Nice to meet you. Family, Charlie, back up. Don't Sorry, I'm a couple minutes shoes. late. Don't yeah. worry about it. Come on in. Yeah, come on in. We got powerful. That's me, a few weeks ago, meeting Jack Brinkhoff. That is Jack Brinkhoff, Jr. Jack? is one of Polly and Rattlesnake Jack's grandsons. He was born the year after his grandpa died, 
but grew up with stories of him. He also grew up visiting his grandma Polly at her skin gulch cabin. That was her here. She used to take us on day ride, you know, day, you know, several day yeah. rides. And, um, this she was, had horses? Yeah. This is her on top of Long's Peak. Oh, my gosh. She would. Uh, when I visited Jack at his Bellevue home recently, he graciously took down an album of family photos. This is him going through it. It was all men when she joined, and in the second or third year she did it, she took first place. So wow. It was kind so of she, a, a she, feat. And she climbed Long's Peak yep. here. That's, yep. And that looks like maybe the 70s? Maybe. Probably, yeah. yeah. Gosh. Her arms were bigger than mine. I mean, this woman was, she just was tough. In 1952, Polly and Jack started building their little mountainside cabin. Looking at pictures of it, it gives me very Swiss Family Robinson vibes. This was my grandmother's place. Wow. And it's all gone now. Even If it would have survived the, the flood or the fire would have got it. It was up after both. And she built 90% of this herself. Polly did. Yeah. Um, so a lot of like slab walls, um, very little insulation. This was a very cold, cold gulch, if you will. Um, so she didn't... Did she? I know she had like a wood stove. I read that. Two of them. So is that what heated it? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Thank you. There you go. Thank you. So she had no traditional heating. I read that there was no sewer system. Nope. She had a privy. Okay. Help and then she got her water from a well. Yep. And she put she had her food in a cave. Cave. Mm -hmm. How far was the cave from her cabin? Thirty feet. Okay. Yeah. And then um, no electricity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow. she had a little TV. She'd have a 12-volt battery set under her TV, and she could get, like, one channel, I think, or something. Like a, a 12, you mean like a car, car battery, battery yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. And that was the closest thing she had electricity, so it was a lot of, a lot of kerosene lights. In fact, some of the lights that I have here came from her house, so. How long did, it, so she lived like that from when they when they moved there in the yeah. 50s to when she passed yes. away? Yep. Yeah, we wow. couldn't get her to move out of I mean. After moving around for years, the Brinkhoffs had finally found roots in the Poudre Canyon. And after decades of making it her own, that little cabin was home to Polly. She chopped wood for its stoves, shoveled paths out of its snow, and decorated the area with pieces of art that she'd painted or strewn together with mountain finds. As I talked to Jack, I was surprised to learn that he, his brother, and his sister were raised in a very similar way to their dad, Polly and Rattlesnake Jack's son, Mike. You see, they didn't have electricity either, and they relied on a spring for water and a wood stove for heat. That's just the way the Brinkoffs lived. Um, what do you think they would think about today's technology? <laughs> uh, both of them wouldn't care for it. I mean, it's just, again, they were raised like that and they didn't want that aspect they, yeah. they liked living the way they did and you know they most of them probably would like a light switch you know yeah. <laughs> and the heat but the other conveniences i don't see i'm really taking advantage of yeah. so life was hard up skin gulch and it wasn't uncommon for rattlesnake jack to come down the canyon into town every once in a while and he uh he did like come down drink so that created probably 99 percent of the stories um but interesting ones does you know Everybody always asks, how did he get his name? Um, and I believe, you know, the story was he was at, you know, we'll just say it was the town pump or whatever it was at the time. Or, and there was some college kids in there throwing up popcorn and catching it and eating it. So he had a bag of rattlesnake rattles. So, you know, after drinking a little bit, he'd take them out and throw them up and eat them. 
So hence they, they named him that. But, rattlesnake Jack. Yeah, that's dark, so. Polly in Jack's cabin was also marked with a number of signs, which she said in her oral history interview were designed to draw up any curious passersby. Rattlesnake Jack apparently loved to chat and always loved to visit with people who stopped by. One sign was this giant skull and crossbones Polly painted on a boulder. Another said trespassers will be eaten. You know, one of her signs was no poaching, not even an egg. You know, it's just silly <laughs> stuff. So. She, both she and her husband, I think, had a great sense of humor. They were outgoing, they were friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't these reticent mountain people that didn't want to talk to anybody. You know, they were very different from that, is the impression I get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's Libby James a well-known Fort Collins runner and writer. In 1979, Libby was a reporter for Fort Collins' Triangle Review, and she drove up the Poudre Canyon one day with the camera in hand to document Polly's life. And Polly obliged. She told Libby all about life in Skin Gulch, and even posed for a bunch of photos, which, by the way, Libby was nice enough to let us use. They're in a gallery on coloradoan.com. She was 66 when I talked to her. And what, um, what brought you to Polly? I was interested in Manhattan and Rattlesnake Jack, and he had died by that time. And so I think that's how I got to her, mm-hmm. as much as I can remember. What was Polly like? <laughs> it's, hard to, it's hard to be very specific about what she was like, and I think... Mm-hmm. Probably, but if you read the story, you know, she did say that it was tough living up there in the wintertime, mm-hmm. but that her boys brought her wood, but still she had to chop it, haul it, keep the fire going all night. And she was so used to living without electricity and running water that it just wasn't even on her mm-hmm. radar anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I do think we also talked about her art because, um, she sold a lot to people mm-hmm. driving up and down the Poudre Canyon. Yeah, she was very independent. I mean, she didn't need a lot of money to exist. She picked boughs in the wintertime, make breeze. She, she did work for the Forest Service for a time over at the tree farm on the port. Um, and she sold a lot of her paintings in the local stores. Polly managed to draw a small portion of Rattlesnake Jack's meager veteran's pension from World War I, which she supplemented with her art sales and odd jobs. And while she didn't have much, she also didn't need much. She lived very modestly. So after she died, we we figured she'd hid money, you know, just because she'd ever spent money. And I, I found a coffee can out in the yard buried that had $17,000 in it. So, I mean, she was pretty frugal. Wow. And, and wouldn't spend it on herself, you know. It, she'd wreck a pickup. She didn't want to spend a lot to replace it. And she was very frugal. So mm-hmm. she didn't let a lot of things bother her. And I, I really admire that about her. I mean, she mm-hmm. could... Lots of things could be happening, and she was still happy, and she didn't get stressed out about things. Um, and it obviously didn't take much for her to be content. Polly, as you've already probably deduced, was also very independent. After Rattlesnake Jack died in 1970, Polly remained in their cabin, mostly on her own, until her death in 1999. That's 47 years total and 29 years alone. Her grandson says Polly would sometimes spend portions of the winter with her daughter, 
his Aunt Sally in Owl Canyon. But she would always go home. In fact, Jack says you would have had to drag her out of there. She was very adamant about doing things how she always had, like driving a car or cutting her own wood. One story I will interject, uh, she, you're, you know what a bunion is, I mm-hmm. assume. So she was getting ready to go in for bunion surgery, and she'd had her chainsaw out getting ready to cut some firewood and slipped and almost cut the bunion off. So she went to the doctor, and he's like, man, another half inch, you'd have done my job for me. So she, got so, some, yeah. she cut some of her toe off? Yeah, on, oh on the bunion. So, so we, she didn't know it, but we disabled her chainsaw and could never get it running again, you know. So I, one of us would go <laughs> cut her wood for her. So yeah. she was just, she kind of wanted to just live life her way till yeah. the very end. Mm-hmm. Did yeah. she, she did everything for herself, yeah. it sounds like. Oh, yeah. My father went up to take her keys and said, you know, you shouldn't even be driving. And she's like, well, I'll just kill myself then. I said, so it's like, just let her. Hopefully she doesn't take anybody with her. And, and luckily she didn't. So She was an yeah. independent yeah. lady. Yeah. Polly Brinkoff lived life her way, up until the very end. On March 31st, 1999, Polly was driving up the Poudre Canyon when her truck veered off the road and careened into the Poudre River. Her grandson said the family suspects she fell asleep at the wheel. She was 84 years old. The U.S. Forest Service, which no longer allows people to live on the land that they've staked a mining claim, had already made an agreement with Polly's family that once she passed away, they would dismantle her little cabin in Skin Gulch, which they did. Jack Brinkoff was talking about how they took it apart, how they burned and buried the pieces. But, he added, if you know where you're looking, you can still sometimes see traces and semblances of Polly's old cabin. You can see the entrance to the old mine where she kept her food or the casing for her old well where she got her water. But for the most part, it's all gone. Polly's ashes were laid next to Rattlesnake Jack's grave in Manhattan Cemetery, where they rest side by side to this day. I think it's kind of funny if you really think about it that that's the cemetery they're in. Sure, Polly and Jack were hardened pioneers. They fit in that way. It's fitting for them to be in that cemetery because of that. But if you look around, the few graves that surround them are mostly for the miners of Manhattan, men who came to the area in search of fortune, in search of gold. Polly and Jack, in their little slice of heaven up Skin Gulch, without running water, without electricity, and without a care in the world, seem to have found something even better. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Way It Was. This episode would not have been possible without the support of our sponsor, Jack's Outdoor Gear Farm and Ranch, a Northern Colorado staple since 1955. By the way, I mentioned a little historical tidbit about Jax in the middle of this episode, the missing G.I. Jane. I actually hadn't heard that story before, so we decided to write up a little something on it for our site. So if you're a curious cat like myself, be sure to go to coloradoan.com to catch up. Also, if you don't already, please, please consider supporting the Coloradoan by buying a digital subscription. Support from our subscribers is key to helping us do what we do. 
In case you missed it at the beginning of this episode, the Coloradoan is launching a monthly history newsletter in March, rounding up all the neat local history stories, photo galleries, and yes, podcasts that we produce. You can sign up for that today by going to coloradoan.com newsletter. I can't wait to bring you more episodes of The Way It Was This Year. We're going to be doing about five more spread out over the rest of 2020. Be sure to subscribe to The Way It Was on Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating and drop us a review. I have some interesting episodes in mind for the future, but if you have an idea for an episode topic, feel free to send it in an email to thewayitwas at gannett.com. That's thewayitwas at G-A-N-N-E-T-T dot com. Thanks again to Jack Brinkoff, Libby James, Jack's Outdoor Gear Farm and Ranch, and you, our subscribers, for making this episode possible. Until next time, history nerds. This podcast is brought to you by Jack's Outdoor Gear Farm and Ranch. Family owned and operated since 1955, Jack's gets people outdoors having fun. When exploring the history of Northern Colorado, you can't help but think of Jack's and their long presence in the community. From family traditions of picking up fishing licenses to the mysterious disappearance of Jax's G.I. Jane in the 80s, Jax has a rich history. Visit one of their stores along the Front Range and check out the unique shopping experience.